Hello and welcome to More Like Guidelines, an actual play game design podcast. I am your host and game leader, Jessica Crimes, she, her, and I am joined today by... Uh, hi, I'm Cass, uh, he, him. Is that the first time we've introduced you as Cass on the show? It is indeed. Uh, Are we going to say anything about that or are we just going to... No, you should should keep this entire thing in uh, completely uncut. Actually, yeah, no, that is a perfect explanation. Let's be honest, our (laughs) listeners are cool. Uh, Full name, Casimir. That is C-A-S-I-M-I-R. And you can call me Cass if that's too much of a mouthful. Oh, well, there we go. This is no longer uh, Jess and Cass. Really can't be folks to do a proper episode episode. (laughs) This is the... uh, reintroducing Casimir episode now. There we go. Oh, hell yes. Now it's got a purpose. This is the... This is the reintroducing Casimir while his voice is still recognisable episode. I can respect that. Uh, Today, we are going to be playing a game called In the Town, In the Valley, In the Day and the Night. Written by me. This is a two-player game with no game leader, no resolution mechanic, and very few rules. It is part of my first collection of games, Storybox, which I did a Kickstarter for a little over a year ago now. And we figured it's really easy to play, it's really relaxed, it's just two people telling a story, so we might as well have a play. Jess, why is this game special? This is how me and Cass met! Yeah, it is! Yeah, I put a post on the uh, Rusty Quill official Discord, looking for playtesters. Oh, good times. The way that it works is one player plays as the day, one player plays as the night. I've not read this game in a good couple of months, so I'm refreshing myself on the rules now as I read them out. Uh, Basically, the main character of this story is the town in the valley. Do you want to be the day or the night? Well, last time, the first time that we played this, I was the night because I had no idea how the game worked and I had no experience with TTRPGs whatsoever, even though I pretended like I did. Uh, how about I be the day this time? Alright. So the way this works is we will be describing... Essentially, we're telling the story of what happens in this town in the valley over 72 hours. Cass will be describing what happens during the day. I will be describing what happens during the night. Generally, it's a little easier, if you're not too familiar with improv, to start as the night, which is why I foisted that role onto Cass originally. So it's nice to have the tables turned. Uh, The game takes place over 18 very brief phases, uh, each about three minutes long, is what I've said, three to four. Isn't it just easier to do day and night, phase one, phase two, phase three, but like there's a day and night version for each rather than... No, that's not simpler. I don't know why I thought it would be. The way that it works is each of the phases from phase one to phase two to phase three, which really should have better names, uh, it starts off very zoomed out. So phase one, day one... Uh, Cass will be describing what's happening in the town and the valley as a whole over the course of the first day, giving us kind of a snapshot. Uh, And then I will describe what's happening from a similar zoomed out level during the night, 12 hours later. Then we go back to the start of day one and Cass talks about what's happening in the town itself, in the town centre, the kind of things you could see, the groups of people, but not getting into individuals. And then I on a, again, that similar level of Zoom, talk about what's happening at night. And then phase three is focusing on one individual. So who are they? How do they feel? What do they see? What information do only they have? And yet again, Cass will be discussing this, describing this, 
during the first day, then I will be describing what's happening with this person or a per- another person during the first night. And then we go through three days and three nights for 18 phases in total. Did that make any sense? Do you know what just occurred to me is this game is really sort of multifunctional. It works as an improv exercise. It works kind of as a, a way to gauge how you vibe with another person. And uh, this is a really good way to potentially generate micro settings for RPGs. Ooh. Which had not occurred to me before. We should generate the story outline. All right. We, uh, before the game starts, we come up with a title a theme and a climactic location for the game <laughs> and we do this by rolling dice d10s um the title takes the form a tale of blank and blank uh Cass, you mentioned that you have a d10 to hand or at least an electronic robot that rolls dice for you with its brain powers yes that is correct i have cool. a telekinetic based d10 Tell you what, then. I will roll first, you roll second, and we'll generate our title. Sounds good to me. So, it will be a tale of... That's a nine, but I'll read the full thing out at once. And that was another nine. Yep. Okay, if you want to re-roll. Oh, do I... Oh, we can't just do, like... Okay. I only did the one table. These games were... Light... Okay, what was the number? Two. Two. Oh, that works nicely. Uh, I rolled a nine, Cass rolled a two, so we have a tale of ash and fire. Isn't this exactly what we rolled the first time that we played this? I can't remember how that went. I think it involved stone, stone and ash. I've probably still got the notes somewhere. I think it was, no, I think it was, it was either steel and fire or ash and fire. Next we roll to determine the theme. I'm just going to do this myself. Wow, all right. Uh, you get to roll the next one. That is a two. The theme is desperation. Gearing up to be a real pick-me-up here. It is a bit, isn't it? And if you <laughs> would like to roll for the climactic location. Big money. Big old seven. Jesus Christ. A place that has been destroyed. <laughs> okay, just so you know, these aren't all horribly grim. For example, <laughs> stories we could have got include things like, I don't know, a, a tale, tale of water and sky. Yeah, a tale of water and sky uh, with a theme of hope and the climactic location of a place of life. It could have been nice. But instead, <laughs> tell you what, I've dropped it in the trash fire chat. Uh, do you want to just read out the full summary of this game? Yeah, then? yeah absolutely. Let's see here. Uh, this is a tale of ash and fire, a story of desperation. With a climax in a place that has been destroyed. We could do, you could do like, um, if you ever edited this, instead of like phase one, you could do like the first day and the first night, the second day and the second night. I don't know. The phases take place at the same time is the thing. Oh, good point. So everything in day one, phase one, phase two and phase three happens essentially simultaneously. We're just going into more detail about what's happening. Okay, yeah, this is where I fucked up the last time. Okay. Oh, and the most important thing is that each of the phases begins with saying, for you, for example, in the town, in the valley, in the day. 
obviously, uh, me and Cass have done no off-mic discussion of this story. It's entirely improvised. That means that there is a good chance that we'll get halfway through where this entire story is going to collapse. But salvaging it is part of the fun. We should begin. Let's begin. So on the first day, in the town, in the valley, in the day, plants are beginning to grow again. The wasteland in which the town sits has long been a blanket of ash, dust, and snow. They mingle together in the atmosphere until it is impossible to tell one from the other, and they dust the houses, the rooftops, the squares, the streets. People trudge through the ash and the snow, making their own paths, heedless of the ways that they might have curved along the ground once before. The ash and the snow have obscured everything. Late in the day, a bell tolls high, high in the mountain above the town. The people stop in their work, look up, and then go back to their work when the bell ceases again. Three hours later, the snow begins to fall anew. In the town, in the valley, in the night, everything is silent. What little noise there is, whether from someone carelessly knocking over a flagon or stepping onto the thick, crunchy layer of snow is muffled by an incredibly thick blanket of spores that hang in the air, gently drifting side to side, forward and back. Most of the villagers are huddled in longhouses around blazing bright fires, which, at least in the closest few feet in which they cast their immediate light, drive off the thick, choking cloud of potential life. The streets are empty. Even the animals are hiding, and those that couldn't hide have fallen where they were standing. Everything in the town is silent and soft. In the town, in the valley, in the day, when the bell tolls, all activity stops. Grocers put down their baskets of tomatoes and corn and foods that have long since mutated and acclimated to the ash and the snow, and now, although they have a bitter and dusty flavor, are enough to sustain the meager population that lives within the walls. And children even stop in their games. Women sitting in rocking chairs on porches. Men talking around the fire outside the longhouse. Everyone stops, falls silent, and looks up at the bell tower that once stood on the mountain. It's only ruins now, but the bell still chimes every day.
in the town, in the valley, in the night. Farmers stare at their fields, which just hours ago were beginning once more to burst with new life and weep. For as the sun set, so did their crops. In an instant, everything withered and shrunk back. In the distance, there is the sound of something that is most certainly not a bell, and yet none can think of a single other word to describe it. It's discordant. Compared to what everyone was hearing in the day, it's broken. It's... Every single person in the village hears it. And every single person in the village can think of no words to describe the sound, apart from it is not a bell. It is not safe. It is a destructive tone ringing out, and as it does, the crops which had once more started to bloom wither and dry and tracked into the ground itself. In the town, in the valley, in the day. David, a boy of twelve, is getting into his winter clothes. His father finds him in the living room and cries out in alarm, David, you're not going. And David says, I have to. And the father says, the people who go there, they never return. And David says, Every day when the bell rings, our crops begin to grow. And every night, when it tones again, they die. I don't want to starve before my 13th birthday, Father. I'm going. And pulling on a gas mask to filter out the ash, he steps outside and begins the slow ascension to the old wrecked bell tower on the hill. In the town, in the valley, in the night. Someone who used to be David stands on a hill. He knows the thing that can't be a bell is about to do whatever it is that cannot possibly be ringing. He looks down at the town, blanketed in what is left when life itself is burnt, hanging thick in fungal in the air. He knows that it's time. He knows that by now the bell should have been rung. He knows that down in the town the farmers will be looking at their fields, waiting, wondering, is this finally going to be the time? And as he stands there, and as he stares at the thing that is not a bell, in the thing that is no longer a tower. He finds himself stuck in an instant. An instant that will not end until that bell is rung. He knows he shouldn't. He knows that the town needs to survive and it needs to grow. But he can't leave what isn't the ruins unless he doesn't ring the bell. 
and a moment later, broken and discordant again, it chimes out across the town and David is unstuck, free, able to return to the town he has doomed yet again. That is the end of day and night one. Um, quick bit of sidebar chat. Um, people can probably tell that the way this essentially works is we're bringing strands of stories to the table and trying to kind of weave them together and make everything work. The big part of this game is listening. It sounds obvious, but <laughs> it's a skill you have to learn and it's one that I think we're gently out of practice at, but we're working on it. The story will make no sense if you're, uh, if, if while your partner is talking, you are just rubbing your hands together and going, oh, it's my turn next. Exactly, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm just going to hand that back to you then. All right. This is the second day. All right, now, in the town, in the valley, in the day, a new day dawns. The people stir and rise. The farmers go out to their fields and moan with despair continued. And they begin their cruel and endless their Sisyphean work until at noon a farmer cries out in alarm and the town gathers to see the sprouts in the earth and in the town in the valley in the day the people are going about their business the merchants are selling their wares ashen dusty food Corn, potatoes. Weavers are selling their winter clothes in preparation of a storm that they assume is coming very soon. There are no modern meteorological tools here anymore. But the storm has always come before and they assume that it will come again. And they had best be prepared. Meanwhile, on the hilltop, where the broken bell tower sits looming its presence omnipotent. And the bell, which stays silent except once per day, and then perhaps once per night, it waits and sits like a lurking predator for its moment once again. In the town, in the valley, in the night, the hail strikes like can fire. Entire buildings would have been destroyed by now if not for the thick carpet of vines that had continued to spring since the bell was rung in the day. No one understood what had happened, but they'd kept growing. They'd sprouted from the fields in such unimaginable number what should have been crops twisting, mutating, changing with no second bell to stop them. They grew to rival some of even the smaller buildings in height. And now, when the heavens opened, the city was being swallowed by vines 
and by the storm. In the town, in the valley, in the day. The townspeople gather outside their longhouses and watch as the vines obfuscate and obscure and grow and writhe and overtake their buildings, their homes, their shops, their longhouses. The doors are left unblocked, allowing for safe passage. There is no collapse. If anything, it seems that the vines are strengthening the structures of the town. Some weep with joy. Others, who have what might be described as an inkling of a memory, shudder with dread. Late in the day, the bell tolls, as it does every day. And the sound of the bell seems to resonate through the vines, through the carpets of verdancy. And as it does, fruit and corn and potatoes blossom along the vine's lengths, delivering a bounty that comes once per day and feeds the town. And they, or at least those who do not have that memory of memory, take it and they rejoice. And they are not so desperate anymore. In the town, in the valley, in the night, those members of the town's ruling council who still remember themselves are beginning to panic. The memories are still unclear, but the oldest among them are certain that this is an ill portent. The bells have rung for as long as any can remember, and now that the second has fallen silent, the town is being swallowed by the earth and destroyed by the sky. Ice and plant, there has to be a way to drive both off in equal measure, and so they begin to scheme, they begin to plot, and they don't realise that they're being listened to. In the town, and in the valley, and in the day, David realizes that no one can see him. He goes into his father's living room, sad, defeated, ashamed at what he's done, even though he knows it was for the best. And he says, Father, I'm sorry. And his father is sitting on the sofa, with his head in his hands, saying, I told him not to go. I told him no one ever comes back. And no matter how much David yells and screams and swears, his father never looks up. As the evening wears on, David runs through the streets, calling out. As the townspeople go about their business, as corn and potatoes and fruits and vegetables fall from the vines hanging overhead, making a curtain, making tunnels through the streets. No one can see him. And David thinks, just a shred of a thought, 
something that had never occurred to him before now, and now that it has occurred to him will not go away. How long has this been going on? How many people are walking unseen along these streets? In the town, in the valley, in the night, David has made a mistake. He knows it deep to the bottom of his core, to the bottom of what until now he would have called his person. He knows he has doomed himself. God knows how many other people he's doomed. Arrogance, hubris. There's no coming back from this. The bell is at his feet, shattered. Turns out you can resist its call if you have the right motivation. Down below, there's a stirring at the town council quarters. A plan's being put into action, but it is of no concern to the person that used to be David. To the person that is changing. Being changed by the bell which lies broken. Growing. Twisting, but still forgotten, still unseen. Swelling to an unimaginable size and purpose and magnitude of being, but still unseen, and still the vines writhe. David does not know what he has freed, but he knows he now carries it with him. End day two. Uh, Yeah. One thing I did notice last time we played this is we have very different styles for this. I tend to go quite shorter and broader whereas you give me more to work with essentially which is great i i tend to take long pauses and say very big words so it gives me time to think of other stuff i tend to just commit to the first thing to stumble out of my mouth (laughs) shall we do day three it seems almost churlish not to. I suppose we might. We could, we could just not, out of spite. No, let's do it. I suppose All we right. really ought to. Okay, fine. Alright, this is the third day, the final day, for whatever that means. In the town, in the valley, in the day, something incomprehensibly large and invisible looms over the valley with hands the size of thunderheads it grips the mountain bowl it passes its tremendous palm over the ruins of the bell tower and just for a moment lingers on the shards of the shattered bell, caressing it gently as if one might a child. And then it leans over the town itself, and those who are paying attention might have heard a rumbling, a very distant thunder, like a call or like a growl. In the town, in the valley, in the night, 
everything is gone. The spores, the vines, the buildings, the fields, the council. All that remains is a thin layer of ash and a set of footprints that no one living can even see, should they look at them. Nothing will grow here now. Even with the bells to ring again, the fields lie dead, caked in ash. The buildings are gone. The storehouses, the supplies, everything needed for this town to truly be alive, for this town to even be a memory, is gone. And the skies, once more, are clear. In the town, in the valley, in the day, snow begins to fall. The sky is a steely gray, and the townsfolk gather in the square as the council prepares to enact their plan. Wagons are being filled with supplies, with clothes, with medicines. Women are bringing their children out of the longhouses and wrapping them in tight bundles. Hush, they say. We'll be gone soon. And the council has decided that the best way, the only way, to continue the life of their town is to leave it behind forever. And as they pour drums of oil along the rushed floors of the longhouses, and as they prepare their fires, David watches from a distance, and a single tear rolls down his face. In the town, in the valley, in the night, A small flock of starlings lands on what used to be one of the most lucrative, prized vegetable patches in all of the town. Quickly, of course, it had become a sprouting mass of vines on the day that the storm had come. But now, like everything else here, it is just ash. One of the starlings begins to peck through the ashes, perhaps hoping for worms, for saplings, for anything to eat. And instead, the flock uncover a long sliver of glass, silvered glass. A piece of a mirror forgotten by one of the fleeing residents. The starlings, well, curious creatures, One of them looks into the glass and sees distant, high up in the sky, a weeping face. In the town, in the valley, in the day, evening is coming on. And suddenly, although there is no sound, although there is nothing but crying children, really, and men shouting orders and people getting ready to leave. 
and to burn all that they're leaving behind. Suddenly they stop. Activity ceases. The children stop crying, the men stop shouting, and everyone, everyone turns as one and looks up at the ruined bell tower. And they don't know why they do this, because there is no bell. There is only silence. And David, walking through the town square, unseen, unheard, unsensed by anyone, finds his father preparing alone a single cart, helping where he can, and mostly staring forlornly up at the hill. He finds his father, and he stands in front of him, and he says, Father, I tried to come back. I did, and I'm so sorry. Out in the square, people are beginning to throw the first torches. And David said, Father, run. You have to run. And although David's father cannot see or hear him, there is something, maybe a rush of air or a stiff breeze or maybe a snowflake falling on his nose that makes him pause. David's father turns around and it seems for all the world as if he's staring straight through David. And the look on his face is pure terror. And he drops the hammer he's holding and the tears freeze on his face as he turns, ignoring the questions of his fellow townspeople, he turns and runs away. Up the path, along the road, away from the town, just as the first torch is thrown in the square. In the town, in the valley, in the night, the bell tower is weeping. Bereft of purpose and changed on the most fundamental level by his experiences, it had not taken long for David to realise what a simple matter it would be to just repair the bell, perhaps to hear it chime again. It had taken less than a thought to just rearrange himself, to see his physical shape from a slightly different angle. The starlings had gone. One of the vines must have survived. Several were lashed out of the air before the flock made its escape. Maybe that had been what had pushed him to such drastic measures, but now... Now the bell tower, the thing which had until so very recently been David, stood on the hill, looking over the town. Somehow, he knew it was midnight, and that the thought of everything that he had loved in this town, going to waste, going to ash, going to a ruin, being gone, never even to be remembered. He felt something inside him break, bubble, surface, tear itself out of his throat as a cry, and as it did, the bell tolled. 
and the vine, the single solitary vine began to wither. And somewhere very far away, people set out in search of a new home, in search of whatever it is that they might build. Below the bell tower, in the town, in the valley, in the day and the night. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a dark one. The, no, that game always goes really fucking dark. <laughs> Something about the tone. Oh God, that's... Oh, inc- I... It's incredibly relaxing. Yeah, it really is. Like, because you're, you're just concentrating on... I don't That's know about awesome. you, but I had my eyes closed for most of that recording. I, I didn't, but, like, I was, like, looking up at nothing. Like That's fair. The equivalent uh, thereof. I, I loved, I loved like, the, the time the time warp shit that we brought in. God, that was, that was fucking... That was fucking great. Are you kidding? Um, honestly, I kind of forgot we were even recording that. <laughs> Honestly, me, me, me too. At points, yeah. Like there were moments where I was just like, "Sorry, there's something about that game," and I know it sounds incredibly arrogant because I wrote it, but I've never played a game that has such a come down before. Yeah, yeah. It's really a great like collaborative storytelling exercise. If you'd like to check it out, uh, it's available on Itch. I've actually still got a couple of physical copies of the entire compilation. Uh, DM me if you want one. They're like, what, 20, 25 quid? Something like that. Something like that. Uh, There is also a link to don't-hurt-birds.itch.io in the uh, episode description where you can pick up uh, In the Town, in the Valley, in the Night, in the Day and the Night, uh, on its own, or with seven other games as part of my first compilation, Storybox. Uh, if you a, just want this game on its own, it's only it's pay what you want, minimum two dollars. Yeah, it's a great game to play when you want to relax with a friend and come away both feeling a little bit sad. I think we tied that up really nicely. I do too. It was really nice. <sighs> All right, uh, we should probably wrap up the episode. Yes, we should. I, th- I think I think that we actually generated some content there. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Uh, Speaking of having a lot of fun and generating content, there's some real exciting shit happening in the Carving Bones right now. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, I write the Carving Bones. Yeah, there is. Yeah. You should absolutely go check it out. Thecarvingbones.com. It's written by this prick. (laughs) This update, the update is coming out this week, uh, tomorrow, 6-6-2021. It's kind of a big one. Kind of a doozy. Uh, also a little bit more metaphysical than the others if you're up for that but we'll see all right uh yeah links as ever are in the episode description uh anything else you want to plug uh so um any of you who enjoy the carving bones um might be interested to know that uh i've just had a short story published um in a uh a short story anthology called off the beaten path it is volume four of this anthology um full title off the beaten path for eight tales of the paranormal uh this anthology focuses on gothic horror and uh supernatural horror and it's published by perspective press which is a north carolina-based independent publisher 
Um, if you are interested and if you would like to read my story and the several other really excellent stories that are in that collection, definitely uh, go check it out. There should be a link in the description. There will be. Uh, in that case, uh, thank you very much for listening. This was a bit of a weird one. It was very, very calm, which is nice. I think we were both kind of dipping into story voice, you know? Yeah. I hope you had a serene time. All right. Uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, and check out the DHP Discord. We always want more people there. Yes, it's a great please, place. Come um, just go to at DHB underscore games on Twitter, and there'll always be a link there. All right. Bye. See y'all later. Bye.